We have been in a sermon series for four weeks just in Romans chapter 8, just in that one chapter alone. And the reason why, if you look through the the book of Romans, chapter 8 becomes a culmination of something that Paul has really been writing on. And we get to finish that up and we get to go, we get to see where that goes through. So I'm excited that we get to spend this time specifically in verses 31 through 39. If you have uh, the app, uh, those of you guys who know, they have the Version app. It's really simple. You download the app. At the bottom of it is something called events. You just look there, little, little dots, you find events. Find Cedars Church, click on that. All the verses are already preloaded for you. You can take notes there. You can send them to a friend if they encourage you. Uh, But we just want you to know. And then, by the way, that will be up for a whole week. And so you can go back through it throughout the week and check that out. So I want you to be aware of that. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, we're going to jump into this passage. And verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? Someone say amen to that. If God is for us, who can be against us? And again, what's been interesting about this is I've gone through this four weeks. I've noticed the theme of how our eyes are. If our eyes are on God, we believe that. God is for us. Who can be against us? But if our eyes are down on man and the flesh, then I'm worried about what my boss thinks or my friend thinks or the guy that doesn't like me thinks. And all of a sudden, I start to give power to people who, listen to me, who should not have power. I start to give authority to people who should not have authority. Because the reality of this world is this. I, listen to me, I am going home when I die. This is not my home. This is where I'm passing through. We talked about it last week. This is the orphanage. I've been adopted as sons and I am waiting to go to my home where I am an heir with Christ and I get my inheritance. And if I keep giving value to what happens on this earth, I miss that I have a God who is fighting for me and I start giving authority and power to to those who should not have it. If God is for us, Who can be against us? 1 John 4, 4 says this. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. For he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. Meaning, inside of me, I have the one that can tackle anything that this world has to offer. I mean, I really have in me the one who can fight against what this world throws at me. And I love that, little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you. So in that, what I want us to see is that as we start this, Paul is making a switch to say this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Then he goes on to back that up in verse 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Listen to that. God, God is for you to the point that he gave his own son for you. That's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? So in that, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for his all. This is how Paul's trying to say, let me show you how much God is for you. He gave you a son. 
He gave you his son. He did not spare him, but said, yes, that will be the sacrifice. That will be the price for Jeff. And I'm telling you guys, I know me, I'm not worth it. But he says, I am. But he says, I am. How will he not also give, also with him, I'm sorry, how will he also with him graciously give us all things? So in this, Paul is trying to say, look, folks, we have within us this confidence. We have within us this ability to truly just move forward because of the fact that God is for us. To the point that he gave his son. Verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Okay, so I want you to understand, this is what we call a stacked courtroom. Okay? So the thing is, is when the judge is already on your side, it's hard then to have a problem. Does that make sense? The judge, God, already is for you because of the price paid by your son. So when someone goes, hey, Jeff did blah, blah, blah. God goes, yeah, I know. My son paid for it next. Oh, but what blah, blah, blah? No, I know. My son paid for it next. But Jeff did, yes, I know. My son paid for it next. And the world keeps trying to throw, which by the way, I give them pretty pretty good ammunition to throw at me. But as they throw it out to God, God goes, yeah, I'm the judge. My son's paid for that. You have nothing to bring. So read it again. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So again, anytime they try to bring a charge against me, do you know what Jeff did last night? Yep, I do. But my son paid for it. You got nothing. And he just stands there and the world just tries to say, but, but, but he's guilty. I know he's guilty, but my son paid for it. It's done. Folks, there is confidence in that. To stand in the courtroom, yes, listen to me, ashamed of my sin. I am ashamed of the things that I do. But the one who has the ability to do something about it has already paid for it and said it's done. Therefore, ashamed yet confident because I'm one of his elect. Because the price was paid by his son. So I stand confident that Jesus is washing my shame away. And washing my sin away. And he's calling me his kid. This is a beautiful scene. I can't stop. The people are going to keep bringing up. But I can stand in confidence that it's already done. And it's not taking me down. This is Isaiah 50, 8 through 9. I love it when the Bible says it better than me. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. He will declare me Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The mouth, the moth will eat them up. I love that. 
He says, who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. They will try and try and try and try and try, but they will wear out like a garment trying to take me down because the one who vindicates me stands beside me. Who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? Really, honestly, all I have To condemn me, honestly, listen to me, is not you. (laughs) Oh, you can have seen something I've done. You might even have evidence. But the real problem I have in this world is not you. The problem I have in this world is me. I'm the one who does damage. I'm the one who does the damage to me because I put myself in those situations, because I allow myself to do those things. And then I remember I have an advocate. I have an advocate. I want to take you back to the very first verse we started with when we started this chapter, Romans 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul started with the punchline. There is no condemnation for me. Why? Because he has already paid it. And the only thing I have to do is really what happens in the next few verses after verse 1. Which am I going to go to towards the flesh or towards the spirit? And that's my choice. Yes, I can do things that are vile. And you can see them and you can bring them out and you can expose it. But the only one who can judge me is him and he's already paid for it. Are you seeing the circle? And I want you to know I stand before the judge Yes, ashamed and saddened that I have caused his son pain, but I stand convinced that he loves me and calls me his child. So, let's go back to verse 34. Who is to condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, watch this, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you see it? Who can condemn when the one who paid the price also stands before me and goes, he's mine. And again, as people bring up this evidence, Jesus goes, yep, I paid for that one too. And that one, 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 and that one. I paid for it all. And he intercedes. He's my advocate. And yes, there's plenty of evidence against me, but Jesus goes, yep, all washed away because I paid for it. This should be a passage that encourages you not to sin. Hopefully not. But that in your sin, you stand ready, justified, and free. And then not be bound in the bondage of that sin. And let that sin define you or define what you do next. But to walk out of that courtroom realizing that you can have life to the full. Life to the full. 1 John, 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. I love that. Here we have both Paul and the Apostle John both saying the same thing. You have an advocate. Advocate, it's a beautiful word. It means to have someone who fights for you, who stands in place of, who advocates, right? 
And Jesus comes in and shows up. And I want you to know, I love this in my mind. By the way, going into my mind is a scary place. So I'm gonna only give you a little part of it. In my mind, there's this courtroom and Satan is there with all this evidence and he's got me against the ropes and he sees that he has it and there's no way for me out. And then Jesus walks in and he packs his briefcase and walks out. Do you understand that? When Jesus walks in and goes, uh, that's my client. Satan goes, case closed. <laughs> my evidence means nothing. He's already justified. That's the imagery I want you to have. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Okay, so let's start to get really real about what's being happened here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And so what happens becomes a litany of just these negative things, right? Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword. And the answer is none of them. We have a God that is with us. Listen to me. In the tribulation, in my distress, in my persecution, in my famine, in my nakedness, in my danger, and against the sword. I have one who says, Jeff, even in these dark places, even in these hard times, I'm there. Because again, as we looked at last week, this is temporary. Is your eyes on the glory bigger than what's going on. It is amazing to me um, what happened in the Colosseums in the time of the Christians. Uh, many of you know that um, the Caesars at the time, um, some of them were crazy. One of them was Nero. Nero was absolutely insane, and he hated the Christians. Nero was the one that would take a live Christian cover them in pitch and tar, tie them to the pole, raise them up over the Colosseum, set them on fire so they could have night games. Here's what Nero wasn't ready for. He, this is what they weren't ready for. They thought if we torture these Christians, if we, again, hollow out an animal, shove Christians inside of them alive, sew the animal up and let lions attack, this will stop this thing called Christianity. Ironically, here's what's interesting. The crowd watching the strength, the confidence, and the ability to worship while being tortured, torn apart, and persecuted. Those people in the crowd that were cheering in one second, all of a sudden their hearts went, I wish I had faith in something like that. I wish I cared as much about something as much as these Christians do, that they're willing at the point of being eaten alive inside of an animal to still worship. Do you understand? They could hear them singing inside the, inside the animals. They were worshiping God. It's the same thing that happened with Paul when he was worshiping God inside the jail cell, and the jailer goes, how can you be singing in jail? Because Christ is here. 
I can worship him here inside of an animal, inside your cubicle, inside your car, because God is there. And no matter what our struggle is, nothing, 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 nothing separates us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Verse 6. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now that is an absolute quote of Psalm 44, 22. What does it mean? Why would Paul throw that psalm in? Just dish that psalm in. Because this is what he's saying. It's a part of the territory. This is what Paul's trying to say. All those things, tribulation and, 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 uh, and, and the struggle that he talks about, all of those things that he just talked about, yes, it is a part of the deal of being a follower of Christ. It comes with it. But that still doesn't separate us from Christ. God actually shows up in those moments. And when we look through history over and over and over again in the struggle of people so broken by what's happening to them physically and yet so alive because of what's happening inside of them eternally, changes things. Changes things. Nothing can separate us from this. So Paul's saying, look, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have tribulation. It's going to feel like you're being going to be sheep to the slaughter. Listen, let me tell you something about sheep. Sheep don't fight back. I've never seen rogue sheep take on anything. Sheep just are like, oh, this is where we're going. And so in this idea that Paul's trying to say is that, yes, it just seems like we're just being handed off to be slaughtered, but what they don't understand is that there's power and strength. Power and strength in this place of trusting God in this. It's so hard. So very hard. Verse 37. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen to me. In those dark places, we are more than conquerors. Like, but we don't look like conquerors. Right. Because God uses the weak to overtake the strong. God takes these moments of brokenness, and what's so funny is it starts to pierce hearts of people like nothing else. Know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 reads this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, the victory to those who are, by the way, told to turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, forgive 70 times 7, who are told to take care of the widows in their distress. See, our message is different, but it speaks so much more. Paul will write the majority, listen, the majority of the New Testament from Paul's books are written while he's in prison. 
it's in those places that he can talk about some of these things. And he says, look, you know, help me. Help me to be strong to the very end. Because there is a victory. If our eyes, listen to me, if our eyes are on this earth, we feel like we lose. But it's not about here. What can man do to us? If God is for us, who can be against us? This week, Tim uh, did a devotional on Caleb for us, just kind of his own journey and, and, and where that went. And I love what Tim brought out in, in that devotional. As Caleb at, the, at this time is probably in his 80s, mid-80s. And by the way, in his 80s says, um, I want the land that he gave me, by the way, which is the hill country. And if you don't know anything about tactical warfare, to go take the hill country, they have the advantage. They're on the up. You know what I'm saying? To fight uphill is always harder. And the people that were in that land were, the, by the way, the people that were the um, forerunners of the guys who were Goliath. Read it. So he comes into the land. Remember they said, oh, they're giants and we're like grasshoppers? Caleb at eight, in his 80s goes, um, not only do I want the land that's the hardest to get, but I want the land that has the giants in it. And this is what he says, because God is with me. Caleb, for whatever reason, understood that he had God, and that was enough. And we hear, just if you read the story of Caleb, he goes in, takes the land, and then it says this, and then the land had peace for more. Because he went and took it. Why? Not because of his power at 80, in his 80s, but because of the power of God through him in his 80s. And he just trusted God. And he stayed faithful. While, by the way, for 45 years, while all of his buddies died. And their wives, they all died. And he still at the set said, no, that's my land. How do we understand that we have a God that goes, yes, it seems like it's all done and you can't do anything. And God goes, no, I'm still here. And if he's still here, then who can be against us? Galatians 2.20. I put this verse in um, because I believe if I could, I would put this verse into every single sermon. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Listen, when I became a follower of Christ, it is no longer I who live. It is Jeff Harris with Christ and how Christ, by the way, is changing Jeff Harris. Listen to me. I am a different person because of who Christ is in me. I see things different. I vote different. I, I, I look at things different. I still hate tomatoes, but still, I see things that, I know. It's so funny, you bring up the anti-tomato thing and the, the tomato people are like, no, you gotta have it with on a toast with salt. Shut up. Um, <laughs> so in this, it is no longer I who live, watch this, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, because I'm still living in this flesh. This is still my home until he takes me home. This is still the body that God has given me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So I'm still living, listen to me, I'm still living in this flesh, but I live now by faith in the Son of God, which means it has changed the trajectory of this body's life. 
I do things differently. Hopefully I serve differently. Hopefully I have a different attitude. Hopefully I come into situations with my eyes in a different perspective. By the way, who loved me? I just want to let that sit for a second. Who loved me? And gave himself for me. Who can be against me? God is for me. Who can be against me? Can all these horrible things, tribulation and and, and famine, separate me from him? No. It can't. In verse 38, I love this. Because it starts off with these words, for I am sure. Folks, I want you to be sure. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, watch this, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think Paul tried to cover everything. This is Paul trying to give confidence to say this. You stand before the judge. The judge goes, you have an advocate in Jesus Christ. The price is already paid. You got nothing against me. Therefore, I stand confident in who I am. And by the way, nothing of the negative is going to keep me from the love of Christ. And in this world, nothing positive, negative. Again, angels or rulers, height or depth. Anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. This passage is meant for you to walk out of here and in confidence as his child, waiting for your complete adoption into eternity when you get to be and have all the inheritance that is waiting for you, walk out of here confident that yes, sinner saved by grace. And yes, the world is going to try to take you down. And yes, you're going to go through struggle. And yes, you're going to go through hardship. And yes, you're going to be there. But none of that's going to separate you. None of that's going to bring you down. And then you will stand and know that none of this can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. And walk in that confidence and begin to step into that confidence and act into that confidence and live out into that. And when you do, then you will have the hope to actually say, what can I do in my inner circle? What can I do in the world around me? What can I do in my home? What can I do on my block? What can I do in my office? What can I do on my sports team? What can I do? Because listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The world can't do anything to you. Jeff, they can take your life and then you get to go home. And then you get to go home. And if they're like, oh, but, but they can make you feel miserable. They can try, but you have something inside of you greater than is in the world. This is what I love about this whole chapter. It is hard to keep a man down who writes like this. And it should be hard to keep us down when we understand the truth of what is in us. The world, bring it on. Give us your best. Greater is he that is in me than is he is in the world. What can you do against me? Yes, 
You, take, you can take my life. I win. You can, you can put me in prison. He's still with me. You can sit me on a boat, put me out to sea, and just leave me. He's still with me. You can try to embarrass me, strip me naked. He's still with me. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. By the way, your adversary, your advocate, who is standing beside you, pleading your case, and listen to me, I want you to hear it in your head that Satan's briefcase is thumping closed, closed, closed. He has nothing against you. Walk out justified. Walk out confident in who you are in him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we have spent four weeks in this chapter, four weeks seeing what it's like, Father, to know that no one can condemn us because if we're in you, we have no condemnation. And the world's going to keep trying. It's going to sling its mud, but nothing sticks because of your son. Yes, we give it evidence. Yes, we've done things. But Father, none of that is going to separate us from the love of your son. Your son stands with us and he washes us and he cleanses us and he makes us white as snow. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it, yet he does it. And I stand, Father, with you as your child. And you say, come in. All of this is yours. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I don't deserve it, but you say that you give it to me anyway. And I pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus, who made it possible for what he did on the cross. And it's in his name. Amen.